Coming up on today's WAC podcast, we talk Seattle U basketball. Joining us on the podcast is Dennis Patchen, play-by-play voice of Seattle Youth Men Basketball, and Brian Vale, the Assistant Director of Communications, talking women too. Yeah, the Red Hawks have a lot of new faces on campus, and we will hear all about them coming up on the WAC Podcast. Today's episode of the WAC Podcast is brought to you by Hercules Tires, the official tire of the Western Athletic Conference. Now here are your hosts, Eric Danner and Rachel Vigil. What's going on, everybody? Eric Danner, Rachel Vigil in the WAC Digital Network Studios. Welcome into the WAC Podcast. We're excited to be talking Seattle U men's and women's basketball. Yeah, we're heading up to the Pacific Northwest, to the Emerald City, where they have a lot of new faces. The men's basketball team, Rachel, has 10 uh, underclassmen on the team and 11 newcomers. That's among the most in the country. We will see a lot of new faces this upcoming season. Women's basketball. Looking to get back on track, Susie Barcombe, head coach over there, is the longest tenured basketball coach now in the WAC. And she's only been there five years, so that tells you how much things have been changing. And we had uh, great conversations with both Dennis Patchen and Brian Vale. Let's take a listen. We're now talking Seattle U men's basketball with their play-by-play voice, Dennis Patchen. Dennis, how are you doing today? I'm good, Eric. Rachel, thanks for having me today. Hey, thanks for being on the show, Dennis. Uh, Obviously, we're looking forward to basketball getting started, as everybody we're talking to in our basketball previews. I imagine you're very excited as well. Any word on uh, when Seattle U might be starting basketball back? The NCAA allowing November 25th as the first start date uh, for games in the NCAA, but uh, everybody's kind of scrambling, I guess, at this point to get their schedules together. I think it's a giant Jenga puzzle, if you will, as, as everybody. I know that what, what a lot of teams are trying to do and the people that I've talked to is, is trying to get as many games as they can as close to home as they can. So um, if you're a bigger school, a short charter flight. If you're a smaller school, uh, a bus trip or, or those kind of things. So right now, I, I did talk to Jim Hayford. They're still trying to piece all of that uh, together. So right now they don't really have any any uh, non-conference games because they're trying to fit other games in. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised um, as long as everything is okay medically that they would be playing sometime on that first week of the season, Wednesday, Thanksgiving, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, sometime in there. I would expect the the, the uh, Seattle U's first games to be somewhere in that first few days of the season. Last year's team going 14 and 15, 7 and 7 in whack play, maybe not the season they were exactly hoping for, but how do you anticipate that that team will be remembered? Um, for un- you could probably say this about a lot of teams, unfinished business. They were playing better uh, towards the end of the season. Uh, they were tweaking their lineup um, as they got closer to the to, to conference play. They felt really good about it. Um, they had some issues with uh, guys that weren't available towards the end of the season. So I, I think it's, I, it, it's probably going to be like many teams, Rachel. I think it's going to be probably just the mystery of, of what would have happened. I know that in, in, in talking to Jim, in fact, um, I went to the practice on the Wednesday uh, right before the, uh, the tournament was supposed to start on Thursday. Uh, they were very optimistic about what they thought they were going to be able to do in the tournament. And if you remember back to last year, uh, both games against New Mexico State, and that's, you know, that's where the, the, the tournament has gone over the years is you, to get to the NCAA tournament, you got to beat New Mexico State. 
they played New Mexico State well uh, at New Mexico State, and they had a chance to win the game at home. So I think there's a lot of there was a lot of optimism going into the tournament uh, that they were going to make some noise, and then obviously we all know that the you know the tournament gets canceled, and, and there really isn't a whole lot of uh, it's kind of just what would have happened. I mean, you could say that about a lot of leagues and a lot of teams. Teams were on the bubble to get in the NCAA tournament. Teams that were playing well, trying, hoping to especially to get into to that. So I, I think that's probably it. They were the three seed going into the tournament, and um, um, it would have been very interesting to see them be able to play. We're talking with Dennis Patchen, and Dennis, you've seen, uh, you've known Coach Hayford for a long time back. Uh, to his days at uh, Whitworth College in Spokane. And he's he's had to do a lot of different coaching jobs over those years. And this year, a lot of new faces at Seattle U. I believe he's got 10 uh, underclassmen on this year's roster, 11 newcomers. So uh, he's going to have to work a lot of magic to get those uh, pieces to mesh. But this is something uh, Coach Hayford has done before, hasn't he? Yeah, he, he, when he took over Seattle U, uh, he had a, a, a bit of a void. He brought three graduate transfers in. He brought some younger guys in. Um, I'm not sure, and this dates back, we may have to go all the way back to his Whitworth days at Division Three. but when he took that program over, they were, uh, you know, a top half team in that division. Uh, when he went from Whitworth to Eastern Washington University, they had a lot of seniors back, a, a team that had underperformed the year before he got there. But he got them into the Big Sky Tournament for the first time in, I think it was seven or eight years. But this is probably his most inexperienced team. Um, you know, a starter and a half, if you will. Riley Grigsby has pretty much been a starter since he walked on campus. He'll be a junior this year. Um, Aaron Nettles was inserted into the starting lineup near the start of the conference season uh, and played well, uh, gave him a different look um, off the bench. But certainly those are the only two guys that saw considerable minutes. And, and Jim has only had only has four guys, uh, if you count uh, Rip Economou and, uh, and uh, Trey Hopkins, those are the only four guys that were in a uniform or at a practice. Um, well, I shouldn't say at a practice, but in a uniform uh, and played in games last year. So it, it is one of the least experienced teams as far as playing with the jersey that they'll be wearing this season. And there's a, there's a whole variety of guys that Jim has brought in to try and figure out the situation. I want to talk about your personal relationship with Coach like Eric mentioned, you've known him a really long time. What's your favorite memory of Coach Hayford? Oh, wow. Um, Jim is a guy um, that enjoys life, um, but he's also deadly serious about, about what he does. And he is a very good basketball coach. Uh, he wants to play a certain way, um, and his teams at Whitworth – did that uh, to become the, you know, they were ranked number one in the country. Uh, he took Eastern Washington University in the NCAA tournament by playing, you know, the same way. Um, he's had NBA guys. He's had guys that, you know, that were glue guys. He's had guys that were just, it's good for them to be part of a program. He's a guy that I enjoy hanging out with. And as a guy who's worked in the, the, the radio television business for, you know, over 40 years now, we like to do a lot of talking. 
when I'm around Coach Hayford, I like to do a lot of listening. He's got a lot of great stories, and he, and he, and he really is thoughtful in not only how he goes about his basketball business, but about his, his life business. And I think, he, I think it's really interesting. He's, he's the son of a preacher, son of a minister, and um, I think that gives you a, neat, uh, a, a unique perspective on life when you grow up like that. And it's just, it, it's, it's interesting to pick his brain. And, and he and I will sit down when we're sitting down. We'll talk a little basketball, but we'll talk a lot of different things. We'll talk history. We'll talk, um, you know, just where he grew up, where I grew up, you know, all of those things. So it's not necessarily basketball. So he's, he's a guy I do basketball games for, but he certainly, I think of him as a friend more than I think of him as a coach and a guy that I just like to hang out with. Well, you mentioned that Coach Hayford has coached uh, some NBA players uh, recently uh, off a of Seattle U's team. A couple of guys from uh, last year's squad having an opportunity to play professionally overseas. Matea DeCampo, uh, Rashad Gittens, uh, both getting that chance. Uh, you've seen a lot of these uh, Coach Hayford coached players over the years. Are you surprised at all that they got that opportunity to play professionally? No, and I think Morgan Means is is going to get something, an opportunity to play. Um, and I, 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 no, I'm not surprised. Uh, Mattia is is a guy from Italy. His younger brother um, came over. Uh, he's he's a guy who I think his game really developed in it. And one of the things about Jim, he finds he knows what guys' strengths are, and he gets them to take advantage of their strengths on the court. And one of those things that Mattia did wasn't necessarily a score. I mean, he could score the basketball when he needed to, but he was a guy that would rebound, play defense, do all of those things. And you need those guys on successful teams. He got Mattia to buy into that. And he certainly um, excelled at that. And now he's going to go back home to Italy and get an opportunity to play. So um, I think if, if you're a, if you're a young basketball player um, and you want to play for money, I think Jim is a really good coach to be able to to play for because he's had success even at the D3 level of getting guys opportunities to play professionally, um, certainly overseas, but a couple of opportunities for guys to play in the NBA. You mentioned that he's a coach that helps players find their special talent or ability. How is he able to do that? Um, I, I think it's the, the ability and the, 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 um, to, to look at a player and know what his strengths and his weaknesses are. And certainly even more so than the player itself. I mean, he can watch a guy and he can, he can take a guy and it may take a half a season. It may take, you know, it may take uh, workouts in, in the off season and figure out how that guy fits onto a basketball court, but certainly how that guy fits on his teams. One of the things Jim likes to do, and it's, it's a simplistic way to say it, it's a four out one in team where he's got four three point shooters on the court. And then a, and then a big guy or a guy in the middle who can do some things there, a rim protector on the other. end. now that doesn't mean that guy can't shoot the three, two, but it's more of a four out one in. I know. And then, and, and he he'll probably cringe when he hears me say that you got to be able to shoot the basketball at a pretty good clip to be able to play for Jim. And this was a team a year ago, that two years ago, all of those guys that were back shot it well, come back last year and didn't particularly shoot the three-pointer as well. When you don't shoot the three-pointer to where he wants you to, then you struggle a little bit in this system. And I think that was, that was part of the problem a little bit earlier on, but we saw guys, uh, Aaron Nettles, 
a couple of other guys that, that are no longer with the program uh, were able to shoot it. And, and that's why they have, they were so optimistic. Uh, Morgan Means uh, was one of those. They were so optimistic in going into the tournament because they think they had fixed the problem that had plagued them for three months of the basketball season. Well, Dennis, I mentioned uh, 10 or 11 newcomers on this year's squad, and three of them come from the same place in City College of San Francisco. Uh, Rachel and I were talking a little bit as we we're prepping for this that you don't really see uh, three guys from the same school often transfer to another school. Uh, what, what is it about these three guys? They come from a program that was 30-0 and last year. Yeah. He has had every year uh, since he took over at Eastern Washington University, so we're close, we're getting approaching 10 years. Every year since he took over, he's had at least one player from this, uh, the City College of San Francisco yeah. be on his team, and they have been very successful players. I think if this was just a case of they had three guys, uh, all three all-conference, two all-state, uh, 30-0, and 0, um, and it, it was a situation, I think, that, that – they fit what he wanted to do. He likes uh, how players are developed in that program. One of the uh, guys is uh, Darian Trammell. He actually will have three years, uh, not a normal junior college transfer. He's a three-year JC transfer. Uh, and Nate Robinson uh, is another one of those two guys. Those are the, probably the two of the guys that will have the biggest impact um, on him and so uh, on this team. So it, it, it's a fit. The, the school has been a fit for him wherever he's been. And certainly now, apparently, you know, just by signing three, they had more guys uh, than they want to. And the guys who have played from the, the City College of San Francisco um, have had success under Jim and have had the opportunity to go play somewhere else professionally. So I think it's a good fit for both teams. And it, it seems to be working. And this year, it just he just had, they had three players that, that Jim really wanted. The conference will be looking a little different this year with Kansas City and CSU Bakersfield both leaving and Tarleton and Dixie coming in. Where do you anticipate Seattle U being in the standings? Um, I think obviously until you beat New Mexico State, New Mexico State is uh, is the team to beat. Uh, I know that uh, Texas Rio Grande Valley suffered some 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 big losses. Um, Utah Valley will be in the second year under Mark Madsen. I think that they will be improved in the standings. Uh, Grand Canyon has a new coach. I don't know what that roster is going to be like. And I think Seattle U uh, is going to be right uh, in the midst of, of all of that. Um, I, I don't know enough about Tarleton State and, and Dixie um, to know just exactly, how, you know, how they're going to be. Um, and it's, I think it's one of those, those seasons where you wouldn't expect them uh, to be competitive, uh, but uh, you never know. And then uh, Cal Baptist, I should I should say, is another team. But Cal Baptist suffered some serious losses, uh, losing some guys uh, early. I mean, you know, two of the two of the better players in the league are not going to come back to their team. Terrell Brown at Seattle, who transferred to Arizona, and then Cal, you know, uh, uh, Cal Bate or, or uh, um, uh, Cal Baptist, yeah, lost another guy. So I. Th I think it's New Mexico State. I think it's a couple of other teams uh, a, a tick below that. I think Seattle U's in that. And then, obviously, Chicago State has really struggled to win basketball games uh, for a while. And then the two new teams. You just don't know how, how guys who are recruited at the D2 level are going to be able to step in. Uh, um, you know, um, 
Cal Baptist did a, California Baptist did a great job in the transition from Division Two to Division One, but you got to remember that they were a really good Division Two program when they made that jump a few years ago. So uh, I'll be interested to see exactly where they're headed and how they're going to be. I think there's probably three or four teams, or four maybe four teams, uh, that could challenge uh, for second. But right now, I just think New Mexico State is is above the uh, of the rest of the. Uh, of, of the class, but it, it, crazy things have happened this year. I mean, I don't have to tell anybody that. Yeah. And you know, so this would be the year that somebody comes out of nowhere um, and does some amazing things. So, you know, is New Mexico state the team to beat? Sure. Are they going to win it? I, I don't know. I, I got to see how teams play at least in the non-conference to get an idea just how, how, where they, where they fit in here. Well, Dennis, want to thank you for taking some time out. We look forward to uh, seeing you on, uh, on the WAC Digital Network or hearing you on the WAC Digital Network in the not-too-distant future as uh, Seattle U will hopefully uh, be starting up uh, that week of Thanksgiving. Yeah, probably better not to put my face on anymore. So it just, it just put me on the, uh, on the audio. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was a pleasure. It's always great to talk basketball. Um, I'm just I'm keeping my fingers crossed and keep my toes crossed that, that we can somehow figure out how to have a college basketball season because we kind of got left at the train. We were ready to jump on and went zooming by, and we've been waiting for another train for a long time, and I certainly hope one's coming very soon. When we come back, we're going to talk Seattle U women's basketball with Brian Vale. You're listening to the WAC Podcast. We would like to thank our sponsors of the WAC podcast, Hercules Tires and Adidas. Now, back to Eric and Rachel. We are now joined by Brian Vale, the Assistant Director of Communications for Seattle University. We're talking women's basketball for the Red Hawks. Brian, how are you doing today? Hanging in. Everybody's just getting things rolling along, and it's another week here as we get closer to women's basketball season. We're excited. Yeah, we can hardly wait for basketball season to kick off. As we go around the conference, Brian, it's kind of different in each area in terms of uh, what people have going on. Kind of give us a, a little snapshot of what's going on at Seattle U in terms of you have students back on campus, you have student athletes uh, back practicing, that type of thing. Yeah, it's been obviously a, a crazy time for everybody. Um, the team delayed its arrival by about three weeks, so they've been back for about a month now here on campus. It's largely uh, virtual classes online. There's a few in-person ones for specific majors, that type of thing, but everybody's just doing online classes right now. So the team started out with smaller groups. They were doing uh, workouts of five players or fewer was the restrictions they were on. So they did that for a couple of weeks and they were just doing individual drills and kind of installing the offense. And then uh, last week was the first week they were able to do full team practices. So they had the whole team together with all the staff and everything. So that was great. I know they were really excited to get back in the gym and have the whole team there and, and obviously doing everything socially distanced. And this team, I think, has been really great about handling all of the, the mass wearing and the protocols and distancing and keeping things clean and keeping within their pods and the roommates that they have, those types of things they've done a really great job with so far. And I think they are really trying to control what they can control as we get ready to ramp up to the season. Um, and it, it's been a, a lot different this year. Uh, the academic calendar here is different. They adjusted and started school earlier this year. So the uh, academic calendar has been altered a little bit. So that's another change the players have been going through. But I, I think they've done a great job so far from what I've seen. And, and they're enjoying what they can enjoy and handling the changes as they come and, and trying to adjust as, as the best they can. 
You mentioned the protocols. What are the testing protocols looking like for student athletes? Yeah, so they're doing uh, weekly testing. They kind of have random groups. So every Monday morning, um, I think it's at like 7 a.m. here. So they get them up early. And I think it's like five players get randomly selected over the weekend and they get tested. And then the staff gets tested uh, as well. They'll have one or two staff members and they'll get tested. And then they just kind of rotate through. So for the basketball team, it's about over a three-week period. They'll get Everyone will get tested. Um, and so it's every Monday morning. So they'll get their, those results. They have uh, a pretty quick turnaround on those right now with some of the um, hospitals and some of the um, doctors they've been working with here recently. And so they'll get those results today and, and they haven't had any issues yet. And they're just uh, hoping to get the phases here in King County moving forward is the next step. And that'll be um, big in determining whether they can have fans at games and that type of thing as we get closer to, uh, to Thanksgiving and the start of the season. Are they doing the nose swab? I've heard a lot of talk about how they're switching now to the saliva testing. Are you still doing the nose yeah. swab? In uh, my, uh, my understanding, I've just gone to do public health ones. And so they've done the nasal swab one that goes up to your brain or whatever. And so I know they were starting out with that. And now I think they have switched to the, the less invasive nasal swabs. So I, I know, that, I believe they're still doing the nasal swabs, but they're, they're much less invasive. And so it's a little bit more or a lot more comfortable. I'm sure a lot of the players are more comfortable with that. And then also just the rapid result aspect of it has been a big change in a positive direction as well. We're talking with Brian Vale at Seattle University. And Brian, the last time we saw you was about seven months ago in Las Vegas. In fact, the last sporting event that we had in the Western Athletic Conference, Seattle U against Utah Valley in the women's basketball tournament first round before the tournament was canceled. Seattle U was a seven seed. It was a pretty close race though all year. Not, not much difference between seven and two last year. And the Red Hawks played maybe their best game of the season. Kamara Sanders had a great game in particular and she really played well down the stretch. Looking back on last year, I got to imagine that the, the folks at Seattle U uh, thought the team could have made a run to the tournament championship, perhaps even uh, surprised some people and gotten to the NCAAs last year. Yeah, absolutely. I think the team's going to look at that time with a lot of mixed emotions. Um, and that was definitely one of the best games they'd played all season. And the defense was really in sync. They only gave up 48 points to Utah Valley, who had had one of the better offenses in the WAC last year. Um, the senior class, I think they were the leaders of the team, obviously. And they, they were really ready to go on a run. And the underclassmen wanted to give them a chance to, to keep playing. And so to have the tournament canceled there in the middle of it was really difficult for, for everyone involved. Uh, but especially the seniors who had their season cut short there. Um, but they did get to go out with a win. That's the silver lining of it. They they played well in their last game. And and like you said, Eric, that was the last whack contest here for months now. And so they got to go out with that win and and have that last kind of moment where they played well together and then kind of move on. Um, I think the other aspect of it is everyone feels really fortunate to have made it through that whole situation safely and gotten back and everyone was healthy and there weren't any uh, big issues and people were able to get back to Seattle uh, that weekend and then kind of scatter and everybody went back to their home bases to see their family and there weren't any big issues with that. Um, the team had a virtual banquet in May and I think that really provided some closure for the team. Uh, they were able to get everybody together and they'd had Zoom calls, you know, within the group sort of the team, but um, to get everybody together and we had some recent alumni come on and speak to the team. We got Brianna Stewart from the Seattle Storm to come on and she she spoke to the team as well. And so I, I think that was really helpful for the team to kind of have some of that closure and, and close the book on that chapter and, and kind of get ready to move on to the next thing, which for the seniors, a lot of them has meant playing professionally overseas. And then for the underclassmen, 
getting ready to return and, and preparing this summer to get back to where they are now and, and having this preseason practice. Eric mentioned Kamara Sanders. We've had her on plenty of times on Whack All Access. What is she up to nowadays? So she had an opportunity. She was invited to a combine at the Women's Final Four uh, this past year, and that got canceled along with everything else. And so she went back to Redding, California. And I, I think just with all of the uncertainty of everything, she's kind of biding her time a little bit. And she had she played for four years almost every game and had a, a lot of nagging injuries and that type of thing. And just the intensity and the speed that she played at, she, I, I think, was a little bit worn down. And so I, I think this opportunity to kind of relax and recover a little bit will be good for her and not having the opportunity to uh, kind of take a look at the landscape next season and see, I, I absolutely expect her to continue her career somewhere overseas and we'll just see what those opportunities look like. Um, and so it, it's kind of unusual. They have, they have five seniors and now three of them are playing professionally overseas and, and Kamira isn't one of them. So it really could be four. Um, and I expect it to be four going forward, but Joan Alvish is playing, in Spain. Uh, Olivia Crawford just started her career in Iceland and then Carla Beeg is starting her season next month at the University of Essex in England and she's also going to study molecular medicine there. So really excited about some of their opportunities and what they're up to. So it's great to see all of the seniors kind of uh, going on to their next steps and, and uh, showing what they can do and obviously anytime you get to continue to play basketball and in and, and whatever environment that is and, and then also explore the world that's a great opportunity for all of them. So the good news is three players from Seattle U playing professionally overseas with a, a fourth to join them at some point, Kamira Sanders. The bad news is you have basically four professional players now to replace for, for Susie Barcombe. How does she do that? Yeah, I, I think this is going to be a big change for the team. Uh, this will be uh, Coach Barcombe's fifth season, and this will be the first year without that original class that were, it was led by Kamira and Joanna, um, and then Olivia transferred in kind of there in the middle of that run. So it'll be a really different roster, and we'll see how they handle replacing. They had three senior starters in there, and, and like you said, potentially four professional players. So I think the returners have a lot of experience, but it's going to be a different look because Kamira and Joanna were both capable of 25, 30-point games, and they have some of the highest single-game scoring records in program history here. And this team is going to be more balanced, I think, and they just have uh, multiple threats kind of across the board. And we'll see Courtney Murphy – she had some really big games her freshman year and then had a good run in the middle of last year and didn't play as well as she would have hoped in the WAC, I don't think. And she's come in really great shape. Um, Haley Weissneet is another player who missed time with injury last year and then came back for conference games. And she's a mismatch against a lot of other WAC teams. So I think they're going to have some new faces, absolutely. But I think they have a lot of experience. And it's kind of an unusual roster. They, they have the opportunity to return this entire group. They have a lot of third and fourth year players. Um, but between redshirting and transfers, they have an opportunity to have this whole team with them for this year and next season as well. And we'll see, depending on graduation and that type of thing, if, if people do decide to not come back for a potential fifth year. But they have experience on this team, but also a lot of youth where they could have this group together for a while. The new faces on this team, who do you anticipate making a big impact on the court? Yeah, Madison Dubois is definitely the big name of the newcomer. She was a redshirt last year. Um, she's a, a local player here from the Seattle area, and she was really impressive in practice and workouts with the team last year. And I know they're really expecting her to come in, and she'll probably start right away at one of the guard spots. Um, she'll be a scoring guard, um, and they're really hopeful that she's going to be able to step right in and become a, a kind of an immediate contributor because they're going to need some other people to score like we've been talking about with the seniors that they had out. 
And then they have a pretty strong freshman class. They, uh, the coaches have been talking about how skilled they are, and this is definitely the best shooting class in terms of that skill that has come in for Coach Barkham. And so I think they're excited to see how some of those players adjust and get into the college game. And there's a lot of changes. I can't imagine being a first-year college student right now with all of the shifts and all the protocols and restrictions on things. And so I'll be curious how they handle a lot of those changes this year. But I think the coaches are optimistic to see them take the opportunity that is going to be in front of them and, and try to run with it. So looking ahead to this season, Brian, uh, Seattle, usually in the mix, you know, I mean, last year, like I said, there was, there was a lot of parity in the league, but now Kansas City's gone. They won the regular season last year. CSU Bakersfield is gone. And women's basketball is one of the top two, three, four teams in the league. We have Dixie State coming in, Tarleton coming in, but it would appear that the landscape of the WAC, it's pretty wide open, and Seattle U might have uh, a better chance to possibly win the title this year. It, along that line, Coach Barkham is now the longest-tenured WAC women's she basketball is. coach, which is wild in, in her fifth year, um, and I've been fortunate to be here for all five of those years. And so to think that now that, that this staff has been here longer than any of the other WAC programs, so there's some stability there. Um, there will be over overhaul on the roster this year, as we've been talking about, but I think the, the Women's Basketball League is usually pretty open. New Mexico State and Kansas City here more recently have probably been the two top programs, but Seattle U has made it to the uh, championship game in two of the three years that finished for Coach Sparkham here, and then they had a chance. They were in the semifinals last year, and, and who knows how that would have wrapped up. But they've certainly been a competitive program, and I think that's going to be the expectation this year is that they're going to be right there in that mix to, to potentially win the league, and if not, be like last year where – there was that group between two and six or seven that was all within two or three games at the end of the season. And I think they'll be excited to figure out what the schedule is going to look like non-conference and for the WAC right now to see what that's going to look like and see how that plays to their strengths or weaknesses. But I think with, uh, with the way, where the WAC is, excuse me, I, I think they feel like they have an opportunity to kind of crash the party essentially and get through uh, and, and maybe win a regular season title, which I know has been a goal of theirs that they haven't gotten to and, and make it back to the NCAA tournament, which they did in 2018. So I, I think they're excited about some of the unknowns of this year with two new programs, like you talked about, and then Bakersfield and Kansas city being two of the more competitive teams. I, I think there's going to be some opportunity. And we were looking the other day at coach Barkham and I, the, the all whack first team last year, all five of those players are gone. Uh, there were four seniors and a transfer. So there's a lot of new talent in the league this year. And, and I think Seattle U has an opportunity to kind of fill up some of those spots. And, and I think they, they, I'm sure they would love to have an, an all-WAC first team player or two this season. Exciting things to come. And Brian, thank you so much for hopping on with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. And uh, we'll keep rolling along and hopefully we'll see you in person here soon. Yeah, we cannot wait for Seattle U basketball to start back up. Thanks to Brian Vale and to Dennis Patchen for joining us on today's WAC podcast. Make sure to listen on Friday when we preview Dixie State basketball. Thanks for listening to the WAC podcast. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And check out our website at WACsports.com.